come and for the time, you can ask your questions. So there are some that would like questions clarified, some scriptures, uh, issues discussed. So if you'd like to raise your question... Test one, two. Okay. Yeah, in Jude, they use that to validate the angelic view. Uh, it's a portion of the scripture there. Um, also in uh, Second Peter. And for the future sort of uh, context, they also use Daniel in terms of the mingling. Uh, you'll see the, 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 you know, the clay and the iron and so forth. Can you sort of uh, clarify these scriptures So you've heard the question. It's dealing with two areas, really. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, chapter 2 of Daniel 2. And he's also asking the question regarding the book of Jude and the second chapter of Second Peter. Because Jude and Second Peter are nearly identical in wording. Dealing first with the issue they raise from the book of um, Jude and Peter, take your Bibles and we will have a look at what is said and then we will discuss what is there. (laughs) That's the Bible, you see. (laughs) I cannot manage that. This is my Bible. (laughs) We'll deal first of all with the issue of Examples given in the book of Jude. We are in Jude and we're reading from verse 5 down to verse 7. Though you already know all this, that's established in the faith, and what's going to happen, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. So we have one example given. First, the Lord delivered the people out of Egypt, the Israelites, but he destroyed in the wilderness, he destroyed those who did not believe. So he's setting forth an example of God's dealings and man's behaviour. True? So he pulls an example out of the Old Testament to show Israel illustrates us. He destroyed those who did not believe. They got it promised, they did not believe it, so their carcasses fell in the wilderness. That's what happened to them. So it's an illustration of a truth. So he takes an example to illustrate a truth. Now the consistency in both Peter and Jude He does not use one example, he uses another example, then he uses another example because he is dealing with one particular truth. Am I clear? He uses three examples and he is illustrating each time the same truth. Let's read it. The first one is is the bringing of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Second one is 
verse 6, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. Well, where was their home? Where were angels at home? And they abandoned that, they abandoned their position. Where was their home? Their home was round the throne of God. Is that clear? That's where the angels are now. They surround, you read, you sang 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands times that, so multiplied millions as John looked. Multiplied millions is what he saw of angels. And if you think a heavenly choir and they heard, he heard every word distinctly, you've got some choir. He heard every word. So the place of angels is in the presence of God. Angels are accountable to God, whether fallen or not fallen, they are accountable to their creator. That's why when you're reading Revelation 5, the voice goes out, who is worthy to break the seals and open the book? The voice goes through the whole of heaven, all over the earth and under the earth. There's no one who does not hear that question. And there's not a person in all creation who can break those seals. There is only one worthy, and I took you through this morning, why he's worthy. I laid the foundation of why he's worthy. Genesis 3, verse 24. That's the basis for revelation and what you see there. So we have that example. Now we're looking at angels. You've got a King James. They kept not their first estate. So that was their position. They did not stay there. They joined in the rebellion of Lucifer. And so that what are they? They are no longer angels of light. They are darkness. They're no longer light. Satan can transform himself or appear to be. He's not. But he can appear by deception to be an angel of light. We had a fellow come out of the hippie scene in drugs and telling us something of what he had. He was in, um, he visited the Dalai Lama and all that. He was a teacher in high school. And he said, the devil came to me as an angel of light and said, you submit to me and you can have my position. You can, I'll give you your power. So he's an angel of light. That's how he appears. But he's not. He's the prince of darkness. But he's deceptive. So when drugs change your mind, you see things as the devil wants you to see things. He's deluding you. You'll never see the devil, but his ability to put darts or thoughts into your mind is very powerful. And we resist them, the shield of faith. Quench the fiery darts of the evil one. We've got the word of God. That's our shield of faith. Bible says, when Jesus was tempted, what did he say? It's written. It's written. Quote from Deuteronomy three times. It's written. So what have I got to defend myself? Please note, three times. God is consistent all through your Bible. Three times. So consistency, it's written. It's written. It's written. Same issues, tempted, but the same answer every time. It's written. It's written. It's written. What God is doing in Jude, it's written. Firstly, bringing out of Egypt. It's written. The angels. It's written. Sodom and Gomorrah. And finally you'll come to Peter. It's written, the flood. God is dealing with the principles. Let's read through anyway. (laughs) I said I wouldn't take long. I have added a little bit. 
Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned them, he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. If you've got the King James, bounds in chains, everlasting chains of darkness. They are not light. They were in the light. That was their estate. They left that and they went to this by their action. So did God act because of what they did? They wouldn't keep their position as God created them. And they rebelled against it and they went their own way. Does that sound familiar? That's what, they, what did Israel do? They would not believe that God could take them in. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness over 40 years. So the action of God is in response to what they did. The action to the angels is in response to what they did. There is a judgment takes place. So you go across and you're down in verse 7. In a similar way. Ah, they'll say. See, in a similar way. So we're dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah and we're dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah and what they did. So they link the angelic action with Sodom and Gomorrah. Your verse does not... What it's saying is, in a similar way, just as the angels left their appointed estate in Sodom and Gomorrah, they left the appointed state. And let me, I was just reading through it this morning, I thought, wow, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? When they came in, remember, Lot was going to send out his two virgin daughters. Not them. We want the men. Left their appointed estate. Marriage is a reality between a man and a woman. Relationship sexually is between a man and a woman. They left and they went after strange flesh. Didn't they? All it's doing is taking three examples. And out of those three, you can't put them together and say this one's linked to this one because the angelic fall is not linked to what Israel did after it came out of Egypt. You can't link it. There's no joining of them together. There are three examples given to us in Scripture to show what God did, to show us the nature of the God we worship. Isn't it? What they have done in argument is taken Sodom and Gomorrah and linked it back to the fall of the angels. You can't. It's not in your context. What it's telling you, these angels didn't keep their right place. The men in Sodom and Gomorrah did not keep their right place. Are we clear? They went after strange flesh. And by the way, when you're reading it, all the men, young and old, read your Bible. This is the city of Sodom. All the men, young and old. Total depravity. That's why the laws being passed today, the next thing taught in your schools is pedophilia. It's coming. It's going to be. Don't tell me we are not in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. We are. Because Sodom is identified as totally given over 
to this lifestyle. They've left the natural use of the woman and they burn in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. I don't say that, that's God. Is he describing the kind of conditions we are facing and are going to get worse? Yes, he is. And it's being promoted. It's going to be laws in our country. These kind of laws that make this legal, and by the way, not only will it make it legal, if you say anything against it, look out. So the whole, you read your Bible. I read it this morning, so I thought, I'll just check on Sodom and Gomorrah. Does you good. Those angels went in, looked like men. Bring those two men out that we may know them. We want to have sexual relationships with these two men. And a lady from Fiji sent me a whole... Her husband is an African and he was a student in my class many years ago. He's now pastoring a work, but he sent me her writing on homosexuality. And I said, there's one thing you could add. Go and interview the doctors who deal with the damage that's done when this is involved in. No word is made up. You'll never hear any word in the media. It must be horrific work to deal with those who've been involved in this lifestyle because the whole of the back passage is wrecked. And you never hear anything about it. And this is what doctors are involved in, restoring, rebuilding. It's a horrific kind of behaviour. Strange flesh. So the angels left their first estate, God judged. Sodom and Gomorrah, the men left the natural use of the women. They burned in their lust one toward another. Not only the older men, the young, the whole lot. So you have a corrupt society. So what are you learning? The schooling system in Sodom was teaching the youth the kind of behaviour. Tell me, are we there? We are. And people just don't realise when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. That means we are approaching a time when we're going to see Jesus is going to return sooner than many of us think. You can't fix the time, but we know he's coming. But I'm not looking for this time of trouble, I'm looking for him. <laughs> I, he's promised me he's coming and he's promised me he's going to take me to be with himself. That is our hope, it's the church's hope, it's the blessed hope. So I've touched on three. As you go through it, all you've got to do is take the 2 Peter chapter 2 and you take the book of Jude, put them side by side and the principles of argument for truth are outlined three times. Example, example, example. Example, example, example. So he will pull from the Old Testament, say in one verse, and I was going to t- teach on it, take your Bible, turn to Jude, verse 11. He's talking about the kind of false teachers that are going to be in the body of Christ or in the church as it seems in the last days. He, he, Peter, both Peter and he are dealing with it. Now he says in verse 11, Woe to them. He's addressing these teachers. Jude 11, verse 11. Woe to them, these kind of teachers. Three examples are extracted out of the Old Testament to illustrate the truth. 
Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Now, I didn't have time to teach you. There is what's called the way of Cain is set against the way to the tree of life. In Genesis 4, the way of Cain is set against opposition contrasted to the way to the tree of life. And I haven't got time to teach, but it's there, all right? So that's the first example. Then he goes on, you'll notice in your text, they (coughs) have rushed for profit unto Balaam's error. So that's another pathway they take. We do it for money. It's called the prosperity doctrine. Am I clear? We've watched that doctrine sweep, particularly Africa. I have ten men from Nigeria, millionaires, tele-evangelists, who, by the way, take people out of the Pacific, pay their airfare to Africa, train them in joining this organisation and send them back thoroughly trained, all expenses paid to go and undermine churches by what they'll teach. That is happening now. So it says they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. God has said something. What was the error of Balaam? It's not touching teaching the women to go in and seduce Israel. The error of Balaam was this. When those men came, Balaam said, I will inquire of the Lord. He went into God's presence. God spoke to him and said, You will not go. You cannot curse this people. I have blessed them. I see no iniquity in Israel. He tells through Balaam later. He says, You won't go. So he went and said, I cannot go. He wanted the money, but God's told me I can't go. They came again. He didn't say, I can't go. He said, I'll go and inquire of God a second time. God said, Go. The error is to believe that God will change his mind on a subject on which he has spoken. That's real error. When God has given a decree, you won't go. And you go back to God and say, can I go? Because I can see. He'll say, go. No stoppage, you go. So what happened to him? He's on his donkey with his servants and all these people who've come to him with all their money, they're all going back with him. He's riding his donkey. You're riding your donkey, it's been your personal donkey. And that donkey went across into a field, didn't stay on the road. He got angry with his donkey, beat it. Brought it back onto the road again. Goes on a bit further. What happens to the donkey? It, it, <laughs> it goes against the wall, his leg's affected. So he gets off and beats the donkey. Goes on further and it's narrow. Donkey can't do anything. Sinks down under him. So he got his stuff and he belted the donkey. And the Bible says, God opened the mouth of the donkey. It spoke with a man's voice and said, did I ever do this to you before? I don't know what you're like, (laughs) but I don't know what would happen if a donkey spoke to me. (laughs) Hey? What's God getting at him? You say, God can't do that kind of thing. Yes, he can. He spoke through a mouth. He rebuked the madness of the prophet. He was determined to go his own way. And God opened his eyes and said, if you had have gone on, 
I would have destroyed you and spared the donkey. He said, I'll go back. No, you won't. You will go on. And you will only say what I tell you to. Sovereign control over a man who's driven by his own desires and he can't fulfill them. Are we clear? His error was to disobey the clear word of God. Now that's an example, that's a lesson to us. If God says something to you from his word, that's what he means. Don't try and change God's mind. It means what he says. That's the error of Balaam. And then it says this. Um, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. That rebellion was against God's constituted authority on earth. Those whom he has anointed to position, Moses and Aaron, they rebelled against God's constituted authority and said, we are as holy as you, we have the right to do what we wish. God has appointed, God has anointed, God has set people in position and there is within the latter days of the church people who will try to undermine, I don't mean degrees, I don't mean letters before your name or letters after your name, I mean someone who is declared by God to have a responsibility to this generation. David served his own generation well. There are men that are serving our generation well. Their voices are heard for truth. Don't try to take over those kind of people. God has put them there. So there, he puts three examples before it's extracted out of the Old Testament, defining the kinds of sin that will be evident in the church, by the church I mean the visible church, in the last days. Am I clear? So when you go through your book of Jude, when you go through your book of um, Peter, it is exactly the same. Word for word often, it's there. Examples are given each time. Occasionally it changes. Examples there. But when you're reading the book of Peter, because Peter, Second Peter is dealing with <coughs> no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. The holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed, meaning absolute authority lies in scripture. So what's going to happen in the church? Peter says, there were false prophets. You go through your Old Testament, there were false prophets. They would contradict and speak against what true prophets said. There will be false teachers among you. Listen to what they will do. They will secretly or privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, paid the price for their soul. Don't even deny him. You say, what's that mean? I'll tell you. <clears throat> Let me quote. Oh, I can give you his name. It's worldwide. It's well known. Oasis Ministries is... Um, led by a man called Steve Chalk. He's been going for a long time, supports missions and gives humanitarian aid. He's got a big TV station, things like this. And that's his ministry. I first came across him many years ago when a man from Canada called, gave me a critique of him. And the first thing noted in his ministry was he denied a literal six-day creation. That's the first thing. That's where he gave way first. 
Then I read his comments recently. These are they. To say that God dealt with his son the way you say he did means the doctrine of penal substitutionary death. You know what I mean? Penal penalty. Substitution, he took your place. He took the penalty that should have been yours and mine. That's called the penal penalty, substitutionary death of Jesus. Explaining the cross. It's called in biblical theology, theological terms, it's called penal substitutionary death. To say and teach that that is true is cosmic abuse. A father would never treat his child like that. So what's he done? He has fulfilled 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, the verse 1, which said, have you got it up there? 2 Peter 1? If you put it up there, you'll see what it says. I didn't realise till later that they must be up behind me. <laughs> 2 Peter 1. Two Peter one. <coughs> Notice what he says. Two Peter one, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Notice, they will what secretly introduce damnable heresies. Even, please notice the emphasis, even denying the Lord who bought them. Tell me, that's what he's teaching. He has just been asked by the evangelical churches of England to remove himself from their fellowship. It's been going like this. They have at last taken a stand. Are we seeing scriptures fulfilled? Before our very eyes, we are. We're seeing it literally take place in the churches of our world. So when you come this way, I've taken you that way. I cannot justify the interpretations of fallen angels coming down to have relationships with man. That is not what it's teaching. All right? The other one you dealt with is a very interesting one. They say mixtures. Well, I've dealt with mixtures, all right? But their mixtures is found, if you take your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 2. These are the mixtures they're talking about. <coughs> Daniel chapter 2. We will read the description of Daniel's vision from verse 31. Daniel 2, verse 31. He is a Gentile king and he's been given this vision. Daniel 2, verse 31. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. All right, we'll just leave it there and we'll comment. Do you notice anything about the quality of the elements mentioned in your text? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, part iron, part clay. 
What is the message you are receiving? Is it declining quality? What is on the futures market today, all over the world, what's the first element or metal on the futures market? Gold. Silver. Are you clear? It is the quality of government exhibited by the, in the nations of the world. You say, how do you know that? Because when Daniel interpreted, he said to Nebuchadnezzar, as you go through, you are that head of gold. You are king of kings. I thought, that only belongs to one person. How can you say that about Nebuchadnezzar? Mind you, it's Daniel interpreting the vision, all right? So he must be right. How can he call Daniel king of kings? It says, huh? Oh, how can you call Nebuchadnezzar? My mind is getting tired. Just correct me when I say things that are wrong, because I will. So, what he says is this. <coughs> you, God has given you, put under your power, all mankind, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field are under your control. No king in the history of our world has ever had that authority, have they? And in case you don't accept it, Jeremiah has it twice. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air are under your control. No king in all the world has ever been given that authority. Nebuchadnezzar had been. Why? He is shadowing the kind of government that exists in heaven. Absolute authority. You are king of kings. God has given you this. He's put it all into your hands. Not because of who you are, but to demonstrate his rulership. Then you notice decreasing quality. From Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, it splits into Medo-Persian Empire. The Medes today are the Kurds and the Persians are the Iranians. So we're looking back over history, and by the way, Persia was only changed in about 1965. The Shah of Persia was changed to the Ayatollah. Huh? 19? 19? What date? 36. All right, you got the date. <laughs> the name was changed from Persia to Iran, which you know today. So that's a recent change of the list of names given to you way back in Genesis 10. That's a change in our recent time of a nation. So you have a Medo-Persian name. It's divided. There's not just one king. There's Cy we know Cyrus and, and we know Darius as kings over these nations. They're in the scriptures and that's, that's part of history. Then after them comes the Grecian Empire. The Grecian Empire starts off with one man who took only a bit over three years to conquer from Greece to India, he conquered. In one of the most amazing campaigns militarily in the whole of the history of the world, he's called Alexander the Great. Took him three years to go across and conquer the lot and he died of a rotten lifestyle in India at a young age. Now, the kingdom never went to his family. It went to his four generals, so it splits north, south, east and west. That is history, taught as ancient history in all your high schools, but it's recorded in your Bible before it ever happened. Daniel is way back before any of this happened and Daniel is explaining Nebuchadnezzar's vision in the Babylonian Empire and he says, God has told you what is to come. He said the vision is true and it is sure. And we can claim the first part of that vision from 
Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Grecian Empire, Roman Empire is history. But you get down the bottom and you come to an even worse kind of government. You are going to have feet, part iron, meaning it, there's no fifth kingdom, there's four only. Has always only been four in regard to the rulership of Israel. The last one is iron extending down, but now it's mixed with clay. And the teaching is, this is a mixture. Angels have come down, relationships with man, and so that's, that's what's taught. <coughs> what has really happened? Take you to Europe. According to your Bible, ten kings, because there are ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, in Daniel's vision, there are ten horns. These ten horns are ten kings over nations. So now you've got ten kings. You only had four with um, Greece. You had the Senate and the rulership over Rome, but now you've got ten kings. But the kingdoms they have are part iron, part clay, and your NIV says repeatedly, the people do not mix. Now you've got it, we've got it, as far as I am, now I'm speculating, all right? You'll just have to... You'll have to deal with my speculation. But if I was to go to Europe today, or London, what do I think? Is there a picture where there are two lots of people and they don't mix? We call it Sharia law and secular government. They just don't mix. The whole scene, as far as I am concerned, is being set up for the fulfilment of a government which will involve a mixture of Sharia law and secular government. You are seeing it in Australia. A few years ago, Daniel Scott, that's his English name, he taught in Lahore University. He was a Christian, a believer. He taught in Lahore University, mathematics, brilliant man. And they told him, you must convert to Islam. And he refused. But they said, we'll put a fatwa on you. You have got a death sentence on you. So he had to leave the country, came to Australia, to Queensland. So when he came, he reached out to Muslims because that's what he does. But he was called by Daniel Nalia to come down to Victoria to have a teaching on Islam, to make Christians aware of what Islam actually believes and teaches. That was his coming. So what, they just passed a law in Victoria here. This is the first place these laws come. Then they spread to the rest of the nation. But you're the, you're the, the reason we get all these rotten laws. Is this being recorded? I'll be taken up for libel for that one. <laughs> the law had been passed, and I'm going to test it. Vilification of religion. So what they did, they sent in three converts, Australians, to, converts to Islam, to sit in this teaching for the days it was, and then charge him. They would charge him under this law. So he had to go to court, and in the court, they were going to introduce, the Muslims wanted Sharia law brought into the court as the means of judgment. Fortunately, they threw it out. They would not have Sharia law. But when the, the solicitor, the one working for the Muslims, uh, they made certain stipulations. Firstly, they said, you cannot use the Koran. You cannot read from the Koran. It is a holy book. So he put it aside. He knows it off by heart. He knows all the hadiths off by heart. That's the interpretations 
of the book. He is brilliant, and, he, and that's his background. So he just quoted off verbatim the book, what was in the Quran. So finally, the final thing they brought before the judge was this. I'm going to send him out. Ask him to leave. When he comes in, I'm going to ask him a question. If he answers, yes, we've got him. So they sent Daniel out of the court. Then Daniel came in. They asked him, are you going to change any of the things that you have written in your literature, what you've said, all this? He said, yes, got him. What? I'm going to make sure every quotation I made from the Koran and the Hadith is accurate. They didn't have it. If I see a mistake, I will make it right. They thought he was going to admit he would take some out. He didn't. He was found guilty. This was the charge he would have to fulfil. Every week, in the newspaper in Australia, there would be a full-page advertisement apologising to the Muslim community, not allowing his books to be published in Australia, and he's not allowed to speak in Australia. That's years ago. He went four years, he went through this. His health suffered. They decided the only thing to do was to take it to the Supreme Court because that would shut the mouth of every Christian in Australia, basically. So they took it to the Supreme Court, three judges. The three judges unanimously threw the whole thing out. The Muslims did not pay his costs. Tell me, do we owe our freedom to a man? We do, don't we? A man who is not born in Australia, is from Pakistan, is stood for our liberty. Amazing, isn't it? That is what happened. So Sharia law and secular law are going to finally rise in Europe as the dominating power over at least ten nations. I would suggest it may be worldwide, but at least over ten nations governed by kings, there's going to be a mixture and the people will not mix. What will be the condition when Christ returns back to this earth? What Nebuchadnezzar saw is very clear. He saw the whole vision of this statue which is Gentile control over Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. That's what he saw. Because why do we call them world, world empires? You, you go into ancient history, Babylon is called a world empire. Babylon did not control the world. Greece did not control the world. Why are they called world empires? Well, you can either take your atlas or you can take the back of your Bible and look up Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Grecian, Roman. You will notice one thing and one thing only. They all controlled the land of Israel. All. That was, where's the capital of the world? Jerusalem. It's not New York. It's not other, any other town in the world. It's called and when Daniel 9 is very clear, when Daniel has his vision and Gabriel speaks to him, he says, 70 times 7 is decreed for your people, your holy city and my sanctuary. Meaning, Jerusalem, 
the Jews and the Temple Mount. There's a fixed time and the whole history of the world is hinged on Daniel chapter 9 and its interpretation. We haven't reached the last one times seven. It's coming. When it is, I do not know. But for certain, it will take place exactly as it's written. So it has nothing to do with angels coming down and having sex with women and this just as it happened in Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Do you see that? That, that is a totally twisted interpretation. It's not there. But we have, I don't think we have any excuse today. All we could say previously to Daniel's vision, it is decreasing natures of government we are seeing from gold right down to iron mixed with clay. It just won't mix. Brittle, baked clay and iron just don't mix. There's no mixture takes place. And the NIV, the people, it repeats it. The people do not mix. And it's referring, when you notice, Daniel, to the ten toes which you equate to Daniel's vision, ten kings. The area, it's iron. So it must come out of the area of the Roman Empire. Same fourth kingdom. Let me give you a thought. Have you ever thought about, take your Bible, turn to Matthew 22. I think, I'll just check it. No, it's Matthew 21, sorry. Matthew 21. It's called, one you might be familiar with, called the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. Jesus told a parable. The vineyard in Isaiah 5 refers to the nation of Israel. We're told that. So the nation of Israel is before us. He took this vine. He planted it in the land. He put a wall around, that is, it's defended. He set it all up to produce fruit and he put a wine press in it and he left it there for them to look after. And then he sent some servants to get fruit from his vineyard. First servant came, they killed him. Another servant came, they stoned him to death. And this went on. Finally he said, I'll send my son. They will reverence him. So they saw the son coming. They said, this is the heir. We'll kill him. We can have the inheritance. So they took him out and killed him. What will the master of that vineyard do? And they said, he will destroy those wretches and give the kingdom to another. He said, have you never read? Have you never read? Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected, that's you, Israel, you Pharisees, you people who lead this, the stone the builders rejected has made the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvellous in our eyes. And then he said words which you are going to have to now grapple with as the extent of what is in one verse. Take your Bible, Matthew 22, 21. Notice what it says, verse 43. He's giving them the warning. Therefore, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Tell me, has the kingdom of God been taken from the nation of Israel? They've been 2,000 years scattered through the world with no land. 
no temple, no basis of worship. The kingdom of God's taken from you and it will be given to another nation. Where do you read about a nation, holy priesthood, kings? Peter, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, aren't we? It's been taken and now Jew and Gentile are involved in a kingdom. Doesn't come with observation, kingdom of God is within you. Christ reigns within. So listen carefully to what he says. This is what he says. It'll be taken from away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So God's looking for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, all these kind of things. Looking for fruit. Please note the next verse. It is amazing. When I saw this, I thought, wow, in one verse encompasses the history of our world. Please notice. This is what it says. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. What is Jesus? He is a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offence to the nation of Israel. We're told that. But will you notice Nebuchadnezzar's vision? There is a stone. Where does it hit? It hits the feet. The last kingdom's control over Jerusalem, it hits the ten toes and the feet, strikes them, grinds them to powder. So you have two pictures. Christ himself is a stumbling stone to the Jew. And he is, has been. But what about the Gentiles? It says, it will fall on them and grind them to powder. What are you seeing? Nebuchadnezzar's vision, aren't you? The stone that came from heaven hit the image in its feet and toes, ground them to powder. And the whole of Gentile control is finished because it tells you the whole image is just now dust because of the, 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 the stone that's come down. It's blown away. That simply means never again will Gentile control exist in Israel. And I have put in my Bible, and I usually quote it time after time from the point, never again, never again, never again, never again. Joel, Micah, you go through your Old Testament. It's just like the flood. God says, never again. When I set up my kingdom, it's going to be over all the earth. How do you explain scriptures like, it's written on the United Nations, I think it was put there by Russia. I'm not sure. It says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nation will not lift up sword against nation anymore. <coughs> They're not going to do it. Only one thing will do that. The king is coming back and he's prince of peace. The only time this world will know peace. There's a false one coming and he'll be very short. Very short. The only time this world will know peace is when Jesus comes riding on a white horse back from heaven and he's coming to make war. That's what we're told. Because they have surrounded his city, they have taken the city, they wrecked the women, they robbed the place, they've taken some into captivity and his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back and his feet are going to stand there. He's coming back to rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. And so we don't make a mistake five times, 1,000 years. In, in Revelation 20, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years. And the description of those 1,000 years is not hidden from us. It is in a lot of your Old Testament. The promises God has made to, that, to the earth and to the nations at that time. 
It's now two o'clock. <laughs> so I have done my time. <laughs> I'm going to be let out now. <laughs> I've not been in prison. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> I trust that it's been helpful. Uh, probably some of you had thoughts and that about 